0: So in our text before this morning, this is short four verses in Mark chapter 6. Four verses almost kind of just seem like, like commentary by Mark that's just carrying us from one scene to the next. We're going to actually see two significant words. The one significant word I'm just going to give you up front is the word recognized. And you're going to see that when we go through the text, that they immediately recognize Jesus. And when we think about how we recognize people and how we recognize things, we do so in different ways. So I want us to play a little game this morning. Of recognition. So I'm going to put an image up on the screen and I want you to tell what that image is as you recognize it. So here's the first image. Target, right? Target. Okay. We're going to start a little bit easy. Nike. This one should be really easy. McDonald's, right? All right. This next one, you should all know because uh, at least according to me, it is the greatest computer maker of all time. Apple I get made fun of all the time because I'm like Apple everything all right so now this one's going to take some of you back so you have to think back to your childhood and think cartoons in your childhood cartoons in your childhood Thundercats Thundercats. somebody said it there we go Thundercats so uh, that's taking some of you way back in time okay so now this is for those baseball fans out here okay so you got to think back if you're a baseball fan Montreal Expos, that's right. Some of our youth in here are like, what? Who is that? Yeah, you have to go back, get some old baseball cards, you'll understand then. So, so we recognize things by sight. Not just by sight though, sometimes we recognize things by sound. So, so if, if there's a certain kind of laughter, we can identify people by the way they laugh or how loud they laugh. We can recognize people by how they walk. Right, So so I have uh, my oldest daughter and my son, they walk down the stairs in very different ways. My oldest daughter is a, a dancer, and so when she walks down the stairs, it is very graceful and elegant and quiet. My son, when he comes down the stairs, it sounds like an elephant in a tornado, right? So, so it is just really loud, he's jumping, he skips three steps, he tumbles a little bit and then goes, Okay, it's alright. So, so that's David, right? Some of you recognize things by the jingling of of keys or coins in a pocket, and you're like, yep, I know who that is walking down the hallway. For some of us, it's by smell. I will never forget the smell of my Grandma Howard's perfume, or the smell of walking into the house and knowing that my Grandma Kroll was cooking roast beef and rolls. Like, I will always remember that smell. It's the smell of uh, baseball stadium hot dogs. You know that I love baseball stadium hot dog smell. This is why that, that, that recognition of smell is so important to some who have lost loved ones and so they hold on to, to sweatshirts or pillows or something where they can remember the smell of a loved one. Some you recognize by height. I have a pastor friend who's about six foot six, bald, completely bald. So if I want to find him, all I do is I look above everybody else for a person with no hair. Like and then I know where he is. For some, it's by touch, soft hands, firm hands, comforting hands, calloused hands, but it's by touch. We recognize things, and we recognize people in different ways, and when we recognize people and things in different ways, we know what is coming based on the recognition of who that person is. So I know the difference between what's going to happen when my daughter comes downstairs or when my son comes downstairs. We'll get to that as we look at the text. But what happens, my question is, when you start to recognize Jesus in every aspect of your life, when you start to see Jesus in your home, in your education, in your work, in your relationships, in your marriage, what happens when you see Jesus in every aspect of your life? We're going to see what happens in our text. So if you'd open up uh, the Bibles in front of you to Mark chapter 6, or if you brought your Bible from home, wonderful, open up your Bible from home. We always love it when you bring your Bible from home so you can highlight in it or mark in it or write notes in it. Um, If you prefer uh, your phone, go ahead and pull your uh, phone out, open up to your favorite Bible app, and open up to Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 53. It says this, starting in verse 53. And if you're looking for it in the Bible in front of you, it's in page 842, page 842. It says, when they, and they is talking about Jesus and the disciples, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. So we're going to see here that this is the last of what is considered the, the boat scenes of Mark. And we've been looking at that throughout this summer, uh, these boat scenes of Mark, starting all the way back in Mark chapter 4. So in fact, if you go back to Mark 4 and look at verse 1, you start to see Jesus doing a lot that is beside the sea and in the boat. It says Mark 4, 1, and he, Jesus began to teach beside the sea and a large crowd gathered so that he got into a boat. Then in verse four, or chapter 4, verse 35, it says, when, On that day, when the evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. So they all got into the boat. And then Jesus goes out and he calms the storm. And then in Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, they go to the other side, to the, to the place or the country of the Gerizines, and Jesus steps out of the boat. And in verse five, or chapter 5, verse 21... It talks about Jesus who crossed again by boat to the other side. And so Jesus going back and forth and back and forth. And then in chapter 6, verse 45, we see that the disciples were sent in the boat to the other side. And then Jesus walks out. We saw that last weekend. And this, we would say, would be the, the boat scene that is the culmination of the revelation of who Jesus is. It's the culmination of the revelation of the boat scenes. It's kind of wrapping it all up and saying, this is what happened during this time that Jesus was was going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth by boat. And so so what he did was he moored himself to, or the boat, to this place by by what was called uh, the Gennesaret. Now, if you're wondering, well, where is Gennesaret? If you look at the map and you look up at the top by the Sea of Galilee, you can see in red, in bold red letters, uh, Gennesaret. And so it's on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. The area where Jesus did so much of his ministry, uh, a majority of his ministry, in that area of Capernaum and Gennesaret, Cana and Galilee and, and, and in Nazareth, and in that area. Jesus goes back to where he does most of, of his ministry, and he moors the boat, and we see what happens. It says in the next section, When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. They ran about the whole region. They began to bring the sick people in their beds to wherever they heard he was. So now you see that very significant word. They recognized him. That word recognized means to truly know who someone is. To, to truly understand something about that person. And if you remember the last couple of weeks, you would go, you know what? Those people understood who Jesus was much better than those 12 disciples who followed him. Right? because Jesus is is sleeping on the boat, and they come to Jesus, and they go, Jesus, there's this storm, and and we're asleep, like, how can you be sleeping? Do something about it, and Jesus calms the wind and the waves, and he says, like, like, don't you know who I am? And they're they're like, who is this that can calm, like, they didn't get it, like, who is this guy? And then he's teaching, and there's 5,000 men, not including women and children, and the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, well, what are we going to do? They're really, really hungry. And he says, well, feed them. And you're like, how are we going to feed them? He goes, well, what do you have? The disciples are like, well, we got five loaves and two fish. And they're like, yep, that's enough. I'm like, for who? So he says, no, no, bring it here. He blesses and he sends it out. And they marvel again at this miracle. Like, who is this guy? And then Jesus sends them out by boat. And they're crossing to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and as they cross to the other side it says that Jesus began to walk out as if he was going to pass them and the disciples get all worried because of the wind and the waves and then they look and they see and they go it's a ghost and they didn't recognize him at all see the disciples didn't get it they didn't really truly understand yet who this man was but the crowds are beginning to understand so they recognize him and when you recognize something recognition always evokes a response so, for instance, when my daughter, my oldest daughter comes downstairs, uh, I know that she is either coming downstairs to, to grab a book or some food to go back up to her room or, or something like that, but I know she, she can handle it herself and, and, and sometimes she'll ask me something and sometimes she won't. So, so, but when David comes downstairs, I get in defensive position. I do! Because when David comes downstairs, it's usually to tackle, wrestle, punch or hurt. Like, that's my son. Like, we're a wrestling household, okay? So, so that's, that's what he does. And so, so I know I better be in ready defensive position because if I'm not, he's going to take out a knee or my back or something like that, and then I'll be up front preaching from a stool. So, so like, like, right? There's a difference. Recognition evokes a response. For the crowds, it was as well. We look at the text. What is the response of the crowds when they recognize Jesus? What's their response? They run to him, don't they? They run to Jesus. They say, where else should we go? They draw closer to him. They're they're like the paparazzi when a star shows up, right? Like everybody runs to that one person. But I want you to understand this. Think about how difficult this act would have been for the people who were running to Jesus. Because at that time there were no cars, there were no buses, you couldn't Uber somebody to drive you there, right? Like you didn't have any of that. So if they were running, and remember, when they're running, they would be running. It says from the surrounding areas, right? So it wasn't just like Jesus in Gennesaret and just those people who were there. There might have been people in Capernaum and people in Cana and people in Nazareth who are hearing Jesus is here, and so they hear that he's there, and they start running. And they're not just running on their own, are they? What are they carrying as they run? The sick on their beds. How difficult, how inconvenient must that have been for them to be running over rough terrain, hills with great difficulty while carrying their friends who are sick. And I wonder if for us as Christians, if we have entered into an uncomfortable, inconvenient, difficult Christianity, or if our American Christianity has made our Christianity a Christianity of convenience... Where we say, you know what, it is inconvenient for me to go to church on Sunday morning because, you know what, I I have a basketball game at 1 o'clock or I have a soccer game at 11 o'clock and so I don't want to get up for 8 o'clock church because that's inconvenient. Or or it's inconvenient because, you know what, we had a late night the night before and we were out with friends and so it's inconvenient and and it's very difficult for me to wake up in the morning. Or you know, it is inconvenient for me because because I know what, I just I don't like what's taking place, I don't like the music, I don't like the sound, and so that's inconvenient and difficult for me. Because I want this this comfortable consumer Christianity. Right? And and, and we have so many excuses of why why it is easy not to show up on a weekend or show up only on a weekend once every couple weeks. Because, because we want a Christianity of convenience, but for those who are in this text, there was no such thing as a Christianity of convenience, was there? Like, they ran with great inconvenience and great difficulty to the only one they knew that had the answers for what they needed in their life. So they run. In verse 56, it goes on and says this. And so, wherever Jesus went, wherever he came, villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and they implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Do you see what Jesus was doing? because this makes everything even more complex Jesus didn't just like set up shop in Gennesaret and say why don't you guys come and find me like I'm just gonna stay here and you come to me but but Jesus was traveling all around to the villages to the towns to the marketplaces and so now imagine you are carrying your friends and you are running your friends to Jesus with great difficulty and great inconvenience you might not know where he is, right? Like, the, there is no Twitter updates. Hey, Jesus just showed up in Gennesaret. Hurry up, right? Like, it wasn't on CNN or Fox News or, or the 6 o'clock news, right? Like, like, there were no updates. So you might be running from Nazareth to Gennesaret and show up there, and then they're like, you know what, he's not here anymore. He moved on to Capernaum. And then you're running there. Like that was their desperation for Jesus. They wanted Jesus so much that they would go wherever he was at and they would follow him so that they would just get a little bit of Jesus. Do you see that word of desperation in the text? It's there. It's the other significant word. The word of desperation is implored. They implored. It's the greatest desire of their heart. They cried out to Jesus urgently. They were desperate. But you know what that word implored implies? It implies faith, doesn't it? Because you're not going to implore of somebody that you don't have faith to answer what you're asking. And so there is a faith that is growing inside of these people as they cry out to him. And as they say, Jesus, you are our only thing that has become everything. You are the only thing, and with great difficulty and great inconvenience, we are going to run after you and you alone because you are the only thing that has become our anything and everything. Now, if you think about this, the more that this took place, the more that people came to him, the more that people were healed by him, the more that people recognized him, the more that they probably went out and told others, right? And as they told others, others began to recognize him and implore of Him. And then they went out and told others, who told others, who told others, who told others, and it grew. So, so this is like uh, one time I was working at Shopco when I was a junior in high school. And um, I believe it was Antonio Freeman who came into our shop. It was at some Green Bay Packer wide receiver. I wasn't paying too much attention, but, but it was a Green Bay Packer wide receiver. I'm pretty sure it was Antonio Freeman. He came in and, um, and he was kind of doing the incognito thing, kind of like this with the hat down, right? Like not wanting anyone to notice him. And, and uh, he's walking around and I didn't notice who it was. I wouldn't have a clue, but, but somebody I was working with did. And they said, said I think that's Antonio Freeman, which I, again, didn't really have a clue about who that was. So when so, he goes, because I think that's Antonio Freeman. And I go, I, I don't know he goes, so he walks up to him and he goes, hey, uh, are you that Green Bay Packers wide receiver? He's like, yeah. He goes, can I get your autograph? And he was very kind and he autographed that. But it didn't end there. (laughs) Because guess what he did? That friend of mine went and told two of his friends. And then they showed up. Hey, are you? Can I get your... And then they told their friends and they told their friends and all of a sudden, it ended up going from one person trying to get to the back of the store and out as quickly as possible to a mob of people gathering around this one person trying to get through the store. And he was very gracious about it, but every time one person recognized, three more people were told. Do you know that's our calling? That's who we are as Christians. We have come, we have seen, we have recognized, we have implored of the Lord for forgiveness and grace and mercy, and we are called to run and tell our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors and others about the love that is found in Jesus Christ. Because what do the people want when they run and they implore of God? What do they seek? It says they implored just to touch the fringe. Just the fringe. I don't care if it's the muddy part or the torn part or the worn part or just that little bit, that's all I need. Because when I have Jesus, even just a little bit of Jesus, Jesus is my everything that is my only thing. And he is all that I need. Jesus was their everything that was the only thing they needed. And you and I, we run after a whole lot of things in life. We run after fame, we run after notoriety, we run after money, we run after vacations, we run after work, we run after whatever that is in your life. But you and I, we run after a whole lot of things. We seek after things that cannot do for us what Jesus Christ can. And He is the only one who can restore and make new in our life what this world destroys and we by sin break. And Jesus says, I am your only thing that is your everything. I love the way the psalmist say it. These, are, these two verses uh, sections are great reminders to me about how important this is. The psalmist in Psalm 42 says this, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. He so says, that's what my soul thirsts for. Is that what your life thirsts for? Is that what your soul thirsts for? That Jesus would be your one thing that is the only thing that could quench your life? Or Psalm 27, he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. He says, That's the one thing I ask. That's it. The one thing I ask. And if we looked at your prayers, if we if we talked and, and you looked at your conversations and you looked at what you valued, would that be the one thing you asked? The most important thing, the everything that you asked for. God, I just want to be with you. And I want to know you, and I I want you to be with me. Because Jesus tells you that He is your everything and your only thing. I think there are two questions that we can ask that help us to identify if that is true for us. And the first one is this. If you gained everything you ever wanted, had everything you ever dreamed of. You made the teams that you wanted, you got the, the education that you wanted, you got into the college you wanted, you got the degree that you wanted, you got the job that you wanted, you have the children that you wanted, you have the, the, the vacations you want, the money you want, the house you want, the car you want, if you got it all, but you did not have Jesus, would you be satisfied? Would you be content? I think that one for some of us is easier maybe to say no to, but some of you might be going, I think I might be able to be content with that. But then Jesus isn't your only thing that is your everything. But how about this one if you lost everything you ever had all that you ever dreamed of you lost your job you lost your house you lost your family you lost your car you like this was a really bad country western song right where you lose everything like like if you lost it all but you still had jesus if you were living on the streets begging for your food but you had jesus would you be satisfied That one's harder isn't it but if Jesus is your everything that is your only thing and the one thing that you run after when Jesus enters into your life to your house to your work to your family when you recognize Jesus in every area of your life you begin to realize that Jesus is my everything that is my only thing and the one thing that I need because when I have Jesus I have it all and everything else can fade away but my life my hope my self is secure because I have the one thing that is everything, that is Jesus. May that be the cry of our heart, that in our lives we run after Jesus and him alone, who is your everything and your only thing. In his name, amen. Let's pray.